You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. On this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast, I'm excited to welcome a true maverick in the community. You may know him as the star of the hit HBO documentary, Siempre Luis, But for over 40 years, Luis A. Miranda Jr. has used his tireless energy to champion a number of important causes. He is the founding partner of the Miram Group, a political consulting firm, and the founding president of the Hispanic Federation. He is the board chair of the Latino Victory Fund and the Northern Manhattan Arts Alliance, and a board member of the Public Theater and NYC & Company. He also chairs the Broadway League's Viva Broadway Initiative, Luis and his wife, Dr. Luce Towns Miranda, have been married for 42 years, and they've raised three amazing children, Luce Miranda Crespo, Miguel Towns, oh yeah, and uh, this very special guy. Hi guys, it's Lynn Miranda. I'm sorry I can't be there with you with my dad to record this podcast, but I wanted to answer a few questions and be a part of this conversation. So stick around, because Lynn will be joining us later to answer some questions. But first, I'm happy to introduce someone who, along with his family, are dear friends, and together we've collaborated to raise tens of millions of dollars for dozens of causes. Luis is the driving force in the Miranda family and sets the stage for all of their activism and charitable efforts. Luis, my friend, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you very much, Jen. I am so excited uh, that we're going to have a conversation like hundreds of conversations that we have had over the years, but this time it's called a podcast. Exactly. So, Luis, do you remember the first time we met? I was trying to think about it this morning. It was over 10 years ago, and it was through Lynn. At the time, I was producing Broadway on Broadway, the concert in Times Square, and Lynn contacted me and asked if he and Karen Olivo could perform the Jay-Z song, Empire State of Mind, as the finale. I said to him, yes, you can, but there's a deal. I need you to help me start this program called Viva Broadway at the Broadway League. And it was about encouraging more Latinx engagement on Broadway. Lynn looked at me and he said, nope, the person you really need is my dad, Luis. 
And we met for lunch at Glasshouse Tavern, and the rest is history. I totally know. It's incredible because my son thinks that I pimp him, but I think he pimped me as much as I pimp him for causes and things that we believe in. I do remember, and you know, Glasshouse Tavern has become a regular spot for me since I had lunch with you there. Um, yeah, that was, it seems like such a long time ago, but it also seems just like yesterday. So speaking of yesterday, um, I do want to start this conversation and I, I really want to kind of dig back into your history and your past. And, you know, talk, you are one of the most kind, caring, amazing human beings that I know. So how and when did you get involved in sort of doing good? Like, was it your upbringing that helped make you a more socially responsible person or is it something that came to you later in life? But why are you so good, Luis? Thank you. Thank you for calling me good. I, believe me, there are plenty of people who disagree, will disagree with you, uh, particular people with whom I had uh, ran campaigns against. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I have always been doing charity and it, it had to do with my upbringing. You know, I, I grew up in a small town and something that is fascinating and wonderful about small towns is that everybody knows everybody. Uh, and that as much as you fight in a small town because it's like family, you help as much as well. So places that we may think are like <clears throat> bad institutions, like the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, the Red Cross, those were the institutions I did a lot of work with because in every small town in Puerto Rico and in America, those institutions are important to help others. Uh, so my activism actually began in working in those institutions because my parents were very involved in it. So I, I know I've, I've talked to other people and we've talked about this too, but there's a lot of emotion that comes up when someone is being philanthropic and active and, and using their activism and being socially engaged. So while you're giving, you're also kind of getting. And I just wondered if you could describe the feelings and the philosophies that you have when you are being philanthropic or socially active. I, I, you give, you're absolutely right. You, you give as much as you get because mm. uh, you, you may be helping this particular institution uh, to get better at what they do, to expand their horizons, to be able to provide more services. But as you're doing that, uh, you know you're making that possible by your sweat equity or the dollars that you're putting in. And I just want to interrupt here and say that you are one of the people I know that puts in as much sweat equity as dollars. And not everybody does that. And I think that that's just amazing. You give your time, your energy, and your and your money. Because <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm going to give money, I need to be invested in the success of that activity, of that institution, of that uh, issue. 
when the whole mess with COVID-19 began, as you know, because we work with you and Charity Boss, uh, we started the fund at the Hispanic Federation. Uh, we knew, even though it had not happened, uh, but we knew that the Hispanic community, that the Latinx community will be impacted disproportionately. And we knew, even though it didn't happen at that point, because we have the health indicators, we have the lack of access to health care, we have uh, entry-level jobs where people have to show up somewhere that you could not do it remotely from your computer. So that those were all the ingredients uh, that made the Latino community a uh, primary target uh, for COVID-19. So we started the fund very, very early on in the pandemic. And I see how people, uh, you know, partly because we have had such a heartless president and administration dealing with all of this pandemic, people begin to stay away from causes or walk, walk away from causes, not because they, they don't think that it's important, but there is fatigue. At some point, there is fatigue. My wife and I watch every day the news uh, with Lester Hall where they end uh, or in the morning... Uh, where they tell a story about a family that lost someone to mm -hmm. COVID, just to remind ourselves every day that this is not 113,000, 250,000 deaths. It's just not a statistic. It's a real issue that affects real people throughout the country. Yeah, I think that we've all gotten sort of dazed by just the staggering numbers and we've lost the, we, we don't even realize how many souls have been affected and how many people's lives have been completely shattered. Um, you know, t talking about this, you know, obviously for, for what's going on right now with, you know, with, I think you've kind of split this year of 2020 between political activism and supporting um, COVID relief efforts. Uh, so I think that you're, your charity work or your philanthropy work goes kind of in two directions. Part of it is always going to be political and part of it's going to be, um, you know, supporting um, at-risk communities. Does that sound right to you? And, and how do you kind of decide how are you going to, who you're going to support and what you're going to support? I, I, I just think that politics permeate everything. Uh, that's what I taught my kids. That's what I try to communicate to anybody who will listen to me. Because to the extent that we elect bright people with good hearts, we are leaving the policy implementation and creation in good hands. Uh, that's why I believe that politics is so important. Uh, and at the end of the day, it is government, the one that has the largest of resources to fight most of the issues we have to fight uh, and resolve uh, in, in, in our society. But on the other hand, there is the small things that you need to do. 
I have witnessed your um, your family, and I have witnessed how they come together around causes. How did you instill philanthropy in your children? Um, I see. I remember back to the time that you did the panel with the entire family for the Town and Country Philanthropy Summit, and uh, all six of you were there. It was Lynn and Vanessa and Sita and um, Crespo and Luz and you all were so united on your family's philosophy about activism and and philanthropy. Can you just talk a little bit about how did you raise your kids to be like this and how did you get everybody united in this way? Because they were always part uh, of whatever it is that we were doing. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, uh, but we had smarts and energy. Uh, so sweat equity was always part of what we gave in our community and to institutions. So when a hurricane hit Puerto Rico in the early 90s and we did a telethon uh, to get dollars and funds and resources, Lin-Manuel and Lucecita answered the phones. Those were the days mm-hmm. where people called in mm-hmm. and got donations on the phone uh, when we had to qualify a candidate uh, to run for office. My kids went door to door with petitions uh, for that candidate. It was always a family enterprise. And that's why even now, It continues to be a family enterprise. We're just very lucky that ideologically uh, we are in the same place. Uh, But we also work hard in making sure that we convince each other whenever there is a particular cause or institution that it's important to only one of us. Uh, And we always discuss uh, why it's important. I I, I remember, uh, Jan, one morning during the Hamilton run in Puerto Rico, uh, lose the morning when I make coffee and we sit and talk about the day ahead and the day before mm-hmm. uh, over coffee, uh, Luz had visited uh, the Planned Parenthood in Puerto Rico, Pro Familias. Uh, and she said... Well, wait, uh, can I just can I just insert in here for all of our listeners, Luz is on the board of Planned Parenthood as well. So this is an important cause for all of you, right? And especially for her. It, it is, but, you know, in Puerto Rico, we were involved in so many other things right after Hurricane Maria mm-hmm. that when Lou said, I, I, I want to make sure uh, we commit to help Pro Familias, Planned Parenthood in Puerto Rico, uh, because the doctors uh, that provide uh, pregnancy terminations are aging uh, and there isn't a new uh, group of doctors out there. They need to be trained. Uh, and so we talked to the entire family, and it then became a priority for 
everyone. Whatever we do, we all have to do. Someone can become the orchestra director for that particular issue because they're more passionate about it than the rest of us. But we all have to be together ideologically and ready to help. And I've witnessed that. With all the work that we've done together, every member of your family has had a cause that they've been passionate about. We've worked on climate change and the environment, which I know is important to Vanessa. Planned Parenthood was important to Luce. Immigration, I know, is very important to Lynn, who we'll be hearing from later in this podcast. There are so many causes that your family has supported, but I know that there are two that are very near and dear to your heart, Louise, the Hispanic Federation and the Latino Victory Fund. Can you talk a little bit about those? Uh, Yeah, you know, for Hispanic Federation, uh, it's an institution uh, that myself and others uh, work together in developing uh, in the early 90s. I was the founding president. uh, And I always thought that it was an important institution because it was modeled after institutions that have been incredibly successful through the decades. You know, I was trained by the United Jewish Appeal Federation (laughs) for the Hispanic Federation because we always saw it as a way where collectively the Latino community and their allies support financially and with sweat equity institutions that are important for the health of that community. Uh, So I have continued uh, that work uh, with the institution as it goes from state to state, as it expands its horizon and its causes. And I I see it as as important for the fabric of the country. It is not until 60 million people uh, receive its proper share of resources and access and equity that we build a better nation. And it has happened for every wave of immigrants into this country, and it has made the country better. Mm -hmm. So the formula, we know that works. And that goes hand in hand uh, with Latino victory, which is the other side of my brain, Mm -hmm. uh, which is politics. It's how do you increase Latino participation and Latinos in elected office? We are 20% of the nation's population and 1% of the people in elected office. Mm And until the table of power includes everyone, you will have a divided society. You will need the Black Lives Matters movement for equity and justice. So we constantly have to strive to develop a society that is more diverse and a power structure uh, that is more inclusive and on. Fortunately, with power, people who have power don't want to give it up. Mm, 
Right. So you have to take it away. I think we're seeing that in law. I think we're seeing that right now, aren't we, <laughs> with the election results? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, this one we're going to have to push out of the White House. Uh, but but you see it in little ways and in big ways. And when you take power away, you create discomfort mm-hmm. and. You have to do it in a way where that discomfort is created, but we work to bring back equilibrium to our society. Wow. You said that so perfectly. Um, That's great. Um, You know, I want to talk a little bit about Hamilton because it changed changed all of your lives and your family, but it also changed the world. It changed theater. It changed everything. But I, I want to talk a little bit about how Hamilton's success changed what you and your family were able to do um, in the world of social impact and charity. Um, and I'll just, I'll start with sort of one thing. I know that many people, when they uh, become successful, they can, you know, buy bigger houses or hire more people to help them. Or You didn't do any of those things, but you did hire one person, a full-time director of philanthropy, um, Sarah Miller, who is amazing. Uh, and I just think that that demonstrates so much uh, where your priorities are at as a family. So if you could just talk a little bit about how Hamilton's success helped move, um, move the needle for you in, in regards to doing more good. It, it, it allows us to have disposable income. Uh, we always had the intellect and the energy. So sweat equity was always part of the equation. Uh, but you know, I could see how people with resources help courses and how important that is. I, I have been in enough institutions to see how a chunk of money makes such a difference uh, in serving needy populations, in expanding uh, resources for an organization. So he gave us the dollars that we never had. Uh, so we live in the same house. I know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> where, 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 where we have lived for the last 40 years, uh, we go to the same places uh, that we used to go because we spent most of the time with friends and family. Uh, so that's what we enjoyed doing before. That's what we continue uh, to enjoy, but we knew early on, and Emmanuel and I actually had this conversation early on. It feels like Sarah uh, Miller has been involved in our lives forever because she has, <laughs> and I, I could go uh, into that. But I remember Emmanuel and I having breakfast one day in his apartment, and. Uh, And we've talked about, we need someone who organizes us, who does all the follow-up to make things happen, who is proactive in looking at 
at what's happening out there that we should be involved in because we all have jobs uh, and realities. And it was uh, Limanuel, the one who said to me, talk to Sarah. I think she's ready to leave the place where she's at and she can begin to work with us. And to her credit, uh, she said yes right away. She has always been part of the Miranda clan, uh, but this will make her an, a key part of the Miranda clan since philanthropy, giving, and doing good, it's so important for our family. So now when my daughter says, you know, I met with so-and-so and so, and they won, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I said, talk to Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of talking to Sarah, Sarah and I have had the good fortune to work with each other and been joined at the hip for many of the fundraising initiatives that we've done with your family. Um, but let's pivot a little bit because one of the things Sarah and I did work on with you all, um, and that was the incredible fundraising initiative for Puerto Rico. So can we talk a little bit about just differences and, and how philanthropy is in Puerto Rico versus how it is here on the mainland um, and any of your insights on that? So Puerto Rico, it's star of resources. Uh, and it is starved of resources because before Maria, uh, the participation of philanthropy from the U.S. in Puerto Rico was small, was, you know, uh, very, very minuscule. Uh, there, there is, when, when you think about that in the Heights in 2011, and Hamilton in 2019 were the first and only two equity Broadway productions that have gone to Puerto Rico. Hmm. Uh, you, you, you realize that, that you have to do real work. Uh, and that's what we immediately started doing, but not only by getting resources for the island and its institutions, but also by convincing others to invest. Mm -hmm. uh, we just started this uh, art program with Bloomberg Philanthropies. And it was a fascinating process. Uh, this is a fantastic uh, institution, uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies, international philanthropy that had actually tried to do something in Puerto Rico, but didn't know how to start mm -hmm. because the politics are difficult because you need knowledge in the ground of how to move left or when to move right. Mm -hmm. And so when we went to them, then we began real conversations of putting resources together and for them to do something that they have done over and over in the United States, 
but now with arts organizations and training of our arts organizations in Puerto Rico. So it's not only the dollars, it's also bringing the access of amazing institutions who otherwise will not be in the island. Right. Um, so this brings up, of course, you recently released the documentary Siempre Luis on HBO. And um, I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about what it feels like to be the subject of the film. Um, and there's a lot, obviously, in the film that has to do with your efforts to bring Hamilton to Puerto Rico and your nonstop in the most Hamilton of ways, um, Herculean efforts of, of, you know, building back Puerto Rico and helping the relief efforts after the hurricane. There was a lot of things that came together at that, that time that you were dealing with. Um, but what is it like to be a star? <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not a star. No, you're a star uh, to many of us, though. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm this guy who worked very hard, who's very proud of his accomplishments. Uh, most important of all, of all, uh, raising amazing children and trying to keep together an amazing family. Uh, you know, I, 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 I looked at it as initially as I'm doing this as a favor to JJ. (laughs) Uh, John James, who directs uh, the documentary, it's someone that I have a lot of affection uh, for, uh, who is very talented. uh, And he has always wanted to be in this lane. And I imagine he heard me say so many outrageous things. (laughs) at the kitchen of 895 Broadway where we worked together that he probably said, you know, this this guy is an interesting uh, subject. Uh, When you add that to the fact that Lin-Manuel and Hamilton were beginning to take off uh, in an unbelievable way, uh, I, I, I think that that was something that was intriguing to him. Uh, For me, it was trying to merge him and Carlos uh, as furniture uh, around me, Mm. because if not, you cannot be authentic. Uh, So, you know, I I do these tricks with my head. uh, And one of them was they don't exist. They're just like a sofa or a painting, or a mirror. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that allowed then for real conversations to flow and for real conversations to, to occur. Uh, and, and then at the end, when, when I saw the whole thing, uh, I, I, I was surprised uh, first, uh, John, James, Carlos, and everyone who was involved at their talent uh, and how they were able to organize uh, in 90 minutes uh, the ADHD schizophrenic uh, <laughs> pace uh, of my life 
and of everybody around me. Uh, and, and, and so the rest is history. Well, it, I mean, I know so many people that have seen it that don't know you. And everyone has said to me, oh, my God, it was so amazing. He's such an amazing human being. He's so authentic. That was the word that just kept coming up was it, he was so authentic. And I have to say, I mean, I... I remember some of the scenes in the in the film because I was there in the background um, hanging out. And it, you're right. Like the film crew just became sort of just a piece of furniture in the room and we all sort of just ignored it at some point. But that's when the real authenticity, um, I think, was able to flourish. Uh, how's the film doing? I, what, 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 kind of, I, what kind of feedback are you getting about the film? I, you know, I, I, I get fantastic feedback uh, from total strangers who leave a message that then gets transcribed at the Maram group <laughs> uh, or at some of the institutions that I'm affiliated uh, with. And, and the level of care, sometimes annoyingly so, uh, but because the documentary starts with my cardiologist and my wife making faces about my heart attack and how I don't take care of myself, which is absolutely false. No, it's true. It's true. You do not take care of yourself. And I've gotten on you about that too. <laughs> I totally can. My doctor said to do three things. Do exercise, eat well, take your pills. I do those three things. End of story. <laughs> uh, I get amazing inquiries from people who I haven't seen in years. Uh, a classmate of mine in sixth grade, she played Maria von Trapp, <laughs> and I was one of the kids. Elizabeth Ruiz, who I had not seen or talked to in 55 years, wow. tracked me down because of the documentary. Mm. Uh, my therapist, who I thought was dead. <laughs> they when they I, found you, huh? <laughs> their their work was, isn't done. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in my 20s. Wow. Uh, so if it was just to reconnect with so many amazing people that have touched my life, if that was the only reason why I did this documentary. That was worth that it. That was worth it. So you are one of the most caring human beings I've ever met, but you're also relentless and you're demanding. And you see that in the documentary. No one says no to Luis Miranda. Um, how do you like? How do you have? How do you do that? How do you get things done? Uh, because I always create a mental plan of what I want. I then get feedback from people who I care about and they care about me and they're smart and they make my idea so much better. And now is not my idea anymore. It belongs 
to the people who are massaging and creating that idea. And then we go and we charge, but now we charge as a collective mm -hmm. of people who are invested in making something happen. And it may be that sometime I'm the vessel to do the ask, to take it to the next level, or at some point, my original idea, now I'm just giving feedback. And I always try to figure out what is my role in making this happen. My dad used to tell me all the time, the worst they can say is no. Mm -hmm. So if the worst they can say is no, why not ask? Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about you know, the work that you do as a parent with both of your kids on advocacy and social impact. Um, you know, what does it feel like to, especially, you know, because Lynn is so public um, and um, engaged, what does it feel like to work on advocacy issues with, with your son? It feels the same way that it felt when he was answering the phone when <laughs> Hurricane Hugo hit Puerto Rico. It is the same process at a different level. We now have to consider other variables that we wait in doing X or doing Y uh, in picking this over that because, you know, there's so many needs and so many wrongs that have to be righted in our society uh, that we are constantly making this sophisticated choices mm. of picking A over B, because this is a lane that we're more comfortable, we know more people, we know we could have a greater impact, or nobody else is involved in it, and somebody has to get involved in it. Uh, but it really feels the same way. The conversations mm -hmm. are usually the same. Uh, let's do this. Let's get people on board. And let's do it. You know, Broadway Cares uh, at the beginning of COVID, we had already started doing uh, the work with the Hispanic Federation and Lin-Manuel quickly learned uh, because of his craft that everyone in his world was unemployed uh, and the need was immense. So we said, wait, uh, then our COVID help needs to be with the Hispanic Federation, but also with the artists and the arts community. And so everybody rallied around it. And mm -hmm. Louis Crespo, my son-in-law, created a new sweater. And then we reached out to celebrities to start wearing it and raise money that way as well. Everyone needs to help from their lane. And speaking of someone who helps others from his own lane, Lynn was not able to join us live for the recording of this podcast because he was shooting the final scenes of Tick, Tick, Boom. But I had the opportunity to ask him a few questions. Lynn, let's talk about the concept of everyday philanthropy. What advice would you give to your fans as to how they can become everyday philanthropists? And what might this term mean to you? Not everyone has a platform or a checkbook. So how can they activate and do good? You know, I think that the only thing you really need 
to to engage in philanthropy is one of three things: uh, money, passion, or time. Um, if you have one of those three things, um, you can get to work on the causes you believe in, whether that's um, volunteering or whether that's donating to causes that are important to you, uh, or whether that's uh, lighting up social media and um, and using it to engage uh, with the powers that be. Um, or, or, or raise money through, through social media. Um, there's, there's lots of ways to get involved and you don't need to open a checkbook to do it. I think there's lots of ways to uh, direct your energy and your passion and your time towards the things that you believe in. Let me ask you one more question. Lynn, you're a very public figure now and many people in your position wouldn't use their platform to support charity or for social activism. I know your dad pushes you in some ways, and you'd probably be happy sitting home and writing, but you make a choice to engage in important causes and to motivate and inspire others. Why? I've always sort of put my shoulder into the things that I believe in, whether those are philanthropic causes or injustices that uh, need energy behind them or need addressing. Um, Obviously, since Hamilton, the megaphone's a lot louder. Um, and, and I think that I, I choose, I think the impulse to, to help, uh, comes from the same place as the creative impulse. You have to listen to the thing that won't leave you alone, whether that's a creative idea or whether that's, um, some injustice in the world or, um, some inequity, um, that you feel like you can address somehow or you, um, or, or there's just an amazing organization and you, you read about the work they're doing and, and you say, how can I help or how can I support? Um, those are all great ways to get involved and, and get engaged. Thanks for joining us, Lynn. Well, Luis, it was so great to have you um, on my podcast and um, on Broadway Gives Back. I think that the Broadway community is a very giving community, and you are a key and member of this community, as is your family. So I appreciate you being here and talking with me about philanthropy and cause and social impact. And I hope some people have been motivated um, and they can go onto our episode page on the website and learn more about some of the causes that are important to you and how to get involved. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals with Brittany Bigelow and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPN. Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiance, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash broadwaygivesback. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.